0: Hello and welcome to Afraid to Ask.
1: This is a podcast where we answer all those questions, you're too embarrassed, too afraid or just feel stupid asking. Today we're asking... Should you be worried about that mole? Probably. My name's Liv. And I'm Carmel. Today, we're speaking to a junk professor, Sharad Poole. He's a skin cancer expert.
0: About why we need to worry more about sunscreen and what the heck is the difference between the chemically ones and the zinc based ones.
1: Like, what is UVA and what's UVB? What is broad spectrum?
0: Can I not just use SPF 100 on my face for the rest of time? It's so confusing. And, like, do I have to wear it every day? Later in the episode, we'll hear from our man Stan on the street. He's going to ask AUT students if they get their moles checked.
1: Which is really important because we have got the highest melanoma rates in the world. If you want to get in contact with us or even submit your own question for a future episode, tweet us with the hashtag AskAUT. Let's get to it. can you talk if you haven't got a break? What's your what? record for consecutive questions asked? I say who's he's on first, what's done on done second, I don't know who's on What's the deal with airplane what? peanuts? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? At this point I'm too afraid to ask. Right, you specialize in skin cancer. Yes. Where's the strangest place you've found a skin cancer on someone's body?
2: I think you can get skin cancer anywhere. So I don't know if there's any place called strange. There may be certain places which are more hidden, I'd say.
1: Like on the butt?
2: You can get the butt. You can get it inside the butt. But, of course, that's from um, not necessarily sun-related. But, yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, my doctor told me that he had a patient who died from melanoma on her genital area. and I. You can. And you like, can also get
2: melanoma... Um, You know, of course, as you realize, eyes have color. Mm -hmm. So especially if people have more pigment in the eyes, you can get melanomas in the eyes, which are Mm -hmm. quite lethal as well. I Um,
1: guess we need to start with what's the difference between skin cancer and melanoma?
2: Yeah, uh, melanoma is a type of skin cancer. Um, Interestingly, it's actually the least common, but the most dangerous. So, for example, like if you thought about skin cancer as a whole, um, the most common are the basal cell skin cancers. And these are ones which are largely genetic, so largely a Celtic gene for basal cell cancers. So unfortunately, in Australia and New Zealand, we have a lot of Celtic people living here who are meant to live in England, Scotland, Ireland, the one designed to live in the Southern Hemisphere. So when all cancers are about environment and genetics, just like if you think smoking is about your environment putting smoke in and genes because some guys can smoke and nothing happens to them whereas someone dies well same sort of thing is a lot of people can expose themselves to the sun and have no problem like me or if you've got very light skin you can expose your sun and your gene gets triggered and if you carry the gene for basal cell cancer you're more likely to get them so as you mentioned earlier you know some it was in the news that you jackman the actor had a basal cell cancer so things like that are very common also in new zealand so about nearly 80, 70% at least of skin cancers in Australia and New Zealand would be basal cell skin cancers. And
1: are they predominantly on the bits that are exposed to the yeah, sun? Yeah, to a
2: large degree, head and neck and arms and legs are exposed to the sun. You can get them in other places, but you're not very rare to get You won't get them in the genitals mm-hmm. and things like that. And
0: how dangerous are they?
2: Um, they're dangerous only in areas where they, they don't... The reason why they're not as dangerous is because... Or they don't get as much media is because they don't uh, metastasize which means spread to other organs except by direct spread. So if you had a basal cell cancer in your nose or eye, then because if you actually think about it, behind your nose, behind your eyes, there's nothing but your brain. So they can get onto the nerves and spread to the brain. So rarely we get basal cell cancers which have what we call perineural invasion. They get onto the nerves and they can metastasize. But that means you have to have neglected it for like typically 5 to 10 years or something. It's not going to be a quick thing. Then you have another type of skin cancer, which is called squamous cell cancers. And these are more related to prolonged sun exposure. So they're different from basal cell cancers, which are also often just episodic sun exposure, like you go to the beach and come back. Mm-hmm. Whereas the farmers or the typical sports people, people, in the sun a lot, they're more likely to get squamous cancers. And these are the crusty sort of, normally you see them with crustiness on the scalp in bald men or people. So these are people who have be been in the sun a lot. But these things can metastasize. About 5% of people can die of these squamous cancers, but only 5%. Right. And these are the second most common. So that makes up about 20 to 25. So if you said basal cancer, is 70 to 75. So melanomas generally only make up about 3 to 5% of skin cancer. So they're the least common, but the only difference with melanomas are, like I said earlier, melanin is an antioxidant. So because it's an antioxidant, that means you had such severe damage that the antioxidant is stimulated and to try and save you, but then it goes out of control. So it's like fighting fire with fire. If the fire goes out of control, it spreads all over. So melanin being an antioxidant is typically stimulated and or when you get melanomas, the higher risks are people who've sun bedded or because of people who have sun bathed or sunburned. Our
1: mums always talk about I don't know about camels but mine rubbing baby oil on their bodies yeah, So effectively
2: school. you're just cooking your skin. Yeah. So fundamentally um, sun exposure is slightly different from sunburn. So we know that if you had had a blistering sunburn it directly more than doubles your risk of melanoma or if you used a sunbed it 18 t- 18% increase in melanoma risk whereas if you were if just you used
0: it once or yeah, regularly I mean, even
2: if I think the evidence has looked at both but if you've used sunbeds enough to try and get a tan I think it does increase your risk significantly and that's why there's been the media about banning them for people under 18 because they're saying like know your risks once you're an adult, before that you must
1: I guess mm. I'm naive and I <laughs> think that New Zealanders think that people don't start getting skin cancers until they're in their 40s and 50s. But how young a patient have you had that's had some form of skin cancer?
2: I must say, interestingly, you you often get the extremes, which is very rare. But but typically, most skin cancers are in adults. What's an adult? Over 18? So what I mean is, so typically the melanoma particularly has two peaks. So what we call bimodal distribution from population. What it means is there's one peak of age, which is in your 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And then the second peak is your 70s and 80s. Oh. So even though you can get melanoma at any age, and I see plenty in the 50s and 60s, what I'm saying is that the reason you s- it gets more media is because you see it in young people as well. Mm-hmm. But So generally, 20s and 30s, so which means under 40s is one peak, and then you get another peak in older people. But basal cell cancers are more like genetic, like I said. So largely when you get them, you keep getting them. and but, not, but often you may get them very early. So if you keep coming to check regularly, so patients of mine who have basal cell cancers all the time, I mean, there also be people who don't have the gene and who get just one basal cell cancer and you cut it out and that's the end. They've never seen another one in their life. But there's some people who get multiple ones and they keep having to go back. And squamous, like I said, is because of prolonged exposure. So that takes some time to build up. So you're very unlikely to get a squamous cancer in a young person. But that's, you're right, you're more likely to see it after 40 because you've been a farmer for many years, but then you start getting them later. But occasionally, because the genetic aspect to it from my practice, so of course I've seen melanomas in teenagers, but it is not common. But likewise, I've seen basal cell cancers in teenagers, even though that's not common, but that's because, like I said, there's a genetic aspect to it that there may not be a son part to it. Mm-hmm.
1: I live in Pukekohe here, which... Mm-hmm. Um, I guess people yes. outside of Auckland, it's the big produce growing area yeah. of the country with potatoes, onions, right. and um, we've got quite a few skin cancer doctors down there purely yes. because they say it's because everyone works outside, so we've got a higher incidence of yes. skin cancer. Are there any other types of industries where you see people, I guess farming would be a big one? Yes,
2: but like I said, farming necessarily doesn't translate to higher melanoma risk, no. um, but because melanoma, and indeed to some degree of ages that cancer, we know is episodic, so if you're more likely to go surfing once a week and then don't do and burn yourself on the weekend, you're more likely to get it than if you were going out in the sun every day. But your right farmers are more likely to get squamous cancers, and they can also get melanomas. I mean, anybody in the sun who gets a burn can get a melanoma, but typically though, many of the farmers, even in the old days, you know there were swan dives and things, and they were generally they were covered up. It's it was genes. more the surface. That's it's more the genes. It's very fair skin, but it's more the the fairer skin you have and the more outdoor your occupation. Obviously, you have a higher risk. But on the other hand, it's more likely that uh, surfie or somebody who's going out on a weekend or haven't been out in the sun much, who's going to get a burn and come back because he's more likely to expose a lot of the body.
0: So so one bad burn is much worse it's than absolutely. a summer of getting a gradual right. tear. Especially
2: where you blister and pee supply. stuff like so women that's one of the reasons those who sunbed or those who sunbathe mm. uh, because if you just get the sun exposure that's different from where you're dressed very skimpy and lying on the beach to actually burn yourself and you forget and, and burn yourself so if you get even one burn it automatically almost doubles your melanoma risk so a blistering sunburn in childhood has big implications doubles your melanoma risk when you're an adult because your DNA gets damaged. And I'd say most New
0: Zealand white kids and that's why
2: why in some ways we don't do a good job in New Zealand of prevention. I think that goes for anything. We're just poorly organized people. And what I mean is just comparing Australia and New Zealand, for example, um, Australia and New Zealand have very similar populations. And in fact, you would argue that Australia have more sunshine hours. So actually, when I go to Queensland, People there spend more time in the sun than we do, simply because they can swim all year round. And here, unless you're a die-hard surfer, mm-hmm. you need a wetsuit in winter. Right? But in Australia, the schools in Queensland they have to have compulsory these long shirts. All the schools have got uh, big shade sails where they've got to sit under for playing PE. So what you find is that their melanoma rate has dipped just below our rate. So what you find is, but if you look at the graph. They were going just like us, but they've plateaued and started dipping. Mm-hmm. And ours has continued to rise through just a tiny bit above them. Not for anything else that what they're predicting is we get onto a prevention now. In 10 years, we'll also show that little drop. So certain things can be done. It's mm-hmm. just a very, very slack prevention. And
1: how long have you lived in New Zealand
2: for? Well, I've lived here for twenty Enough time for me to ask this question. Absolutely. In the
1: last year or two, I've noticed that like rash vests I think is their common name yeah. seem to be everywhere and little yeah. kids all yeah. have rash vests at the beaches yeah, and stuff. That's we never had them as kids yeah. so that, is that an acceptance yeah, that, that we're finally starting to finally, get the message? In, in
2: fact we've had conferences held here what we call the Melanoma Summit where we talk about all these and in fact in the last two Melanoma Summits, in fact the first one I think was held in 2008 or something and then in the last two or three of them the biggest topic was people from there were showing what they do for prevention and how our rate is above theirs now and so suddenly there's been a bit of waking up to the fact mm-hmm. so was exactly directly mm-hmm. as a result of that I guess you're not
1: bothered because for the next at least 15 years that you work there'll still be enough skin cancers to keep you in work
2: oh yeah But I actually say to people like it's funny you know medicine as any industry is competitive and actually I teach about 800 doctors a year so actually teach this knowledge quite willingly and one thing i say to people is even if i rolled up my sleeves and did every skin cancer i could get my hands on they still work for others because like i said melanoma only makes up three to five percent of skin cancers and the others because the wrong population is effectively in the wrong place you're not going to clear i mean you can minimize and get lower but there's a genetic component to it so people i think people won't there's always, stop getting that's them. what i'm saying they're not going to stop. you're going Go to ahead. perhaps you can reduce the death rate mm-hmm. from a melanoma. But you're not going to stop it mm-hmm. so you know barring other things like for example if you're known to be a leader in the field and you're teaching it unless you know when people need to see me they have to specifically get their doctor to send now or try and get in fast otherwise I'm booked till July so it's how, how you know. Um, so.
1: can you tell the difference between the three different types by looking at it okay. yeah.
2: to a large degree because melanomas see when you tell mole, typically they're the dark moles right mm-hmm. so like I said melanin is black pigment right so the dark moles typically are melanin you can have some basal cell cancers which have pigment which have a little bit of melanin but by and large they are pink and crusty things or pink lumps and squamous are typically pink with crustiness keratin on the top so generally looking at a skin cancer you can say that's a basal cell cancer that's a squamous that's melanoma so do
1: they all need moles?
2: No, no, no. Like most of the other ones will be not in moles, but they'll just be a patch on or, your skin yeah, patch on your skin which doesn't heal. So and generally the thing to look for is, is there something on your skin which is like you think is a sore or an injury or a pimple which hasn't healed in three months? So Three, those months, things, one thing, three months. Generally the look at number. something like that, especially for the non-melanoma mm-hmm. ones. But for melanoma, typically you're looking at the black ones. There are actually rare melanomas which are not black and they're actually very dangerous. But typically they're... Lumps which are moist and they bleed and they look ugly So it's very rare for somebody to actually ignore them because they're sort of yeah.
1: So are there certain moles? So when I was growing up, um, people can't see but I have a mole on the side of my mouth like yes. Cindy Crawford yes. um, <laughs> And I was always told, oh you're going to have to a get that bit removed one day one Yeah, hers is a little bit higher yes. You're going to have to get it removed one day because that will surely turn into a skin cancer yeah. Is that
2: really no. known? That used to be old thinking when people didn't know That was more for birthmarks Like my original training was to do with plastic surgery and burns. And then later on, I went into more skin cancer and skin research. But they used to be teaching that what we call congenital nevi, which are birthmarks. All of them should be removed by 21 because people age 21. Because as we know, when we were adults is when you had a melanoma risk. But now we know that only about 4% of them really become cancerous, so you can actually monitor them. Because also they're different. When you take birthmarks, they're different types of birthmarks. Mm-hmm. Now, some birthmarks are like moles, and those other ones have some melanoma risk, because they're the dark ones. Then you have other birthmarks, which is also well, salmon patches. You know, there's a pink one. The like a patch, what are you called salmon patch? They're just like a blood vessel thing. Then you have the strawberry angiomas, which really they look mm-hmm. like in a strawberry. And then you have other birthmarks which just look like bruises, you know, what they call the Mongolian spots and things. So all those don't become cancerous. So senses.
0: this is a great time for me to tell you that I have a very large birthmark on my foot. Yes. You can see it. It is brown. It covers yes. my foot. Yes. And yes. the skin is kind of wrinkly. Yes. And yeah. I'm 35. I've yes. never met anybody with yeah. a birthmark like it. But when yeah. I was young, yeah. the doctor did think that one day I might have to get it removed. Absolutely.
2: What, what it means is that we know that when they're darker birthmarks, like your one, and uh, we know that the size there matters, the larger they are, the more area it is for something to go wrong. But we now know, like, if you were much older, they would have probably cut it out and grafted it. So now we know that's not necessary, but we know that at least every few years, somebody should just cast an eye on it. I okay. should really check, because it won't what be the whole after thing. What you That's it, because we know that certain parts of it may be different. And nowadays we have technology like a dermoscope and stuff so we can just monitor it. So what I do is I look through a dermoscope in certain area of it may be different or we know the patterns all the same. So I've had birthmarks where we monitored for years and suddenly it starts to change in an area and then we know we need to remove it. But we don't have to remove all of them. Like okay. I said, what we now think is only 4%, so really it's not a high risk. Mm. But it, you need to know anything which has blackness. Uh, because melon is generally black, has a risk of changing. So the other thing you look for is the change. And that's why the old teaching used to be in a mall, you look for the A, B, C, D, and E. So the A, a was is asymmetrical and B for the borders are they irregular and C is the color not even and D is the diameter was larger than a pencil head. Of course, these are big malls. Mm-hmm. And then the E was evolving, which means it's constantly changing. So right. what you're looking for is any changing black thing. Um, you be vigilant about. Especially. So when do
1: you get birthmarks? Is it because I guess you hear the word birthmarks. That's it, why It sounds it, like it's during the it birthing process, is it? Yeah. Or it's uh, just yeah. that it's uh, formed it's, it's, it. it's
2: formed in the womb at and work. generally people notice it at birth. So anything you notice at birth is a, birth a birthmark. Mark. Right? And
1: so all moles and freckles birthmarks?
2: No, because we know that your direct, um, see as an adult, the moles you have or the freckles you have are directly proportional to your sun exposure in childhood.
0: So if right. we all did grow up in Dublin, like you say, we probably would have, would have fewer moles. Absolutely, so head.
2: you only have to go there and see the skin in Britain and look some of their actresses they're spotless. And in fact, there was an article somewhere I read, I remember reading an interview with, I think it was Nicole Kidman, whose dad was a pediatrician, and she said because she was a redhead and in an Australia, he was so paranoid about skin cancer that she never went out in the sun at all. And she said that's why she has no freckles and she's wow. like porcelain. But absolutely, if you had sun exposure, you, her type of skin would be just entirely, you know, you see these mm-hmm. people with their just chest freckles and you can't reverse that once it's got the damage. So what we know is even for moles, plenty of studies done in twin studies where a twin has either been separated at birth and some have lived in higher UV versus lower UV. So we know this from twin studies, which are perfect studies to look at environmentally yes. identical twins, that the more sun exposure twin has in childhood is directly proportional to the number of moles you have later uh-huh. on. So, birthmarks are different, they're formed. But there are other moles which you get. Perhaps if you had no sun exposure, you may have only two, three moles. If you have lots, you may have mm-hmm. But
0: you're sort of demonizing moles, but moles are not are necessarily bad. They're no, just no, that's effects what I'm of living in their environment. I
2: mean, basically, moles are aberrant pigment, right? So, like we said earlier, melanin is an antioxidant. So, the more sun you have, the more damage you're getting. So, the more, especially intense sun, mm-hmm. so the more sunburn you have, the more damage you're getting, so you're producing more pigment to try and fix it and then it's only natural that they sometimes clump together. Hey guys, it's Dan. I'm on the streets and today I'm asking people about their moles. Have you ever had any moles checked or do you think it's it's important to...
1: Yeah, so last week I had mine done. I go once a year. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's important, especially, yeah, because our sun, you know, we're under the ozone layer. Yeah, whole, I mean.
2: <laughs> and how often do you use sunblock?
1: Um, pretty much every day. Yeah, and, and it's all in my um, makeup and some of my moisturisers too.
0: Uh, only when it's when I know I'm going to be in sunlight. So yeah, like today I wouldn't use sunblock for you. Know, uh, so you're indoors, yeah, not so much. If I was outside, like say at a game of cricket or something, I'd be regularly applying. Mm. But if I'm inside most of the day, then. no.
1: I think I will sunblock once over the summer.
0: Uh, only when it's when I know I'm going to be in sunlight, so yeah. I don't think I ever use sunscreen. Uh, I just can't be stuffed. Just get like a moisturiser that has like sunscreen in it. And then it's like moisturising your but face. But I don't moisturise
2: either. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there are also genetic aspects to having what we call Multiple moles. There's like some people in the family. Everyone's got like over 50 moles. a condition of what we call a dysplastic nevus syndrome. It has a higher risk of cancer, obviously, because they have over 100 moles in the body and 50 of them look dodgy. But those are people which are genetic. Like with everything, I said, it's mm-hmm. environment and genetics. Yes. Same with moles, but.
1: So let's talk sunblock. Yes. yes. So We're supposed to put on our face every day, right?
2: Um. I guess you got. I, I would. Like I think I try and look at everything scientifically. So if you step back and look at it, what is sun? Block, which means it's a sunscreen to protect you from the harmful effects of the UV. So, in my view, you need to put on every day, provided you're going to see any sun. Like if you turned up here in the morning, at six o'clock, you're inside all day, and you're only going home when it's dark, then I don't see the point in putting it on. But you see, because what is it? You're going to be here and I, no sun next. But
0: morning. I would get up and I would walk fifteen minutes so if to, you're going work, to walk
2: in the sun. Go out at
0: lunchtime. And, and, and here's
2: where the key comes: is knowing your skin type and knowing what SPF is. So we do have, sun protection actually came from a mathematical formula of looking at burn time. And actually not a lot of people know this, so I actually put a chart in my book, Skin Biography. So what you look at is like this. So let's look at my skin is called type 4 skin. So my skin is the same like Italian or Spanish skin or lighter or Indian skin. So in my skin type, my burn time is 300 minutes divided by the UV index of the day. So that's why in weather reports they give you the UV index. So, so, so let's just say today is a bit cloudy. So in summer time and peak summer, New Zealand would go at about ten, sometimes even twelve, sometimes eight to nine. So today, I think the UV index, let's say, let's say for argument's sake like today is ten. So then I know that my burn time is three hundred divided by ten, which is thirty, right? So if I'm going to be in the sun for less than half an hour, in uh, theory, then I don't need sun protection because my skin will darken enough to protect me. But if you take somebody with type 1 skin, which is the gingers, the redheads, their calculation is 67 minutes divided by the UV index of the right, day. Right, so in 6 so minutes, if I, if they're there was going to 6. 6.7 your... minutes, they're going to get burned. So then, mm-hmm. if they don't wear... So it really depends. So mm-hmm. if type 2 skin is what we call blonde and blue eyes... So in skin like that, it's 100 divided by the UV index. So as a skin researcher, I know the calculations. So I try and tailor it to individual advice. So mm-hmm. it then depends on your lifestyle. So of course, if I was a cricketer or something, would be out in sun all day, I probably should have sunscreen. But for me, like you a 15 minutes sun exposure before I get into work is probably bit healthy for me to get some sun and I'm not out in PQ because I'm operating all day, I'm mm. not busy. So I don't wear so any sunscreen. You know most of our sunscreens, yes.
0: the ones that aren't zinc, mm. mm. they have chemicals yeah. in them. So is there a risk of, you know, yeah. other kinds of cancer because of the toxins um, in or whatever? Absolutely. I think, I think
2: um, yes and no, not necessarily even cancer, but other endocrine and hormonal sort of effects. So so fundamentally I think if we step back and looked at what are sunscreens then like we said earlier it's a f- it's something which is trying to block the sun damage from occurring so there are two types one is a filter which is effectively like you putting something on top of your skin to prevent so much Sun from reaching it just like when you're in the car you're there's a bit of filtering from your um, mirrors I'm mean, sorry windows right. so just like that when you put so zinc and titanium are the two well-known filters so, more sunscreen, if you see the ingredients and it says either zinc or titanium or both, that means it's got a filter. Now, of course, zinc is more natural because zinc is also in the body in various things, but titanium is more synthetic in the sense that while zinc is also synthetic, titanium is more unnatural because it's not normal for our cells to handle titanium. But having said that, in its natural form, zinc is very whitening. So, some companies would try to make it into really tiny nanoparticles which mm. cannot be visible but if you made zinc invisible then it can enter possibly the pores of your cells and the cells don't necessarily have a channel to experience so we don't know the after effects mm. so that's right so if you looked at the filter then the safer one would be zinc
1: so your medical advice is it's yeah. still better to wear sunscreen sunblock in the sun. rather than take the risk of you are affecting your hormones. So that's what the uh, endocrine is. Absolutely, that's about. what
2: I'm saying. So the second thing is different. So this is the what I've been talking right now, what were just the filters. Then you have what are called UV absorbers. So these are specific chemicals which are in sunscreen, which when the UV rays hit your skin. So we know fundamentally that UVA and UVB are the ones which cause skin cancer. And UVB is your 280 to 320 nanometers. And then 320 nanometers up to 400 UVA. So we have... Below that you have the UVC, which is what causes cataracts. So, But basically what you think is, let's say 280 nanometers to about 400 nanometers will be your peak skin cancer-causing spectrum. Now, what you know is that there are UV-absorbing chemicals, which if you put on your skin, your skin absorbs it. And when these toxins, UV rays hit your skin, these UV absorbers absorb it so that it doesn't go deeper and cause damage. So while they protect skin, some of these chemicals are known to disrupt your endocrine system, your hormone system. So there have been theories on because of it, can it cause breast cancer or this can typically there's been the concern to do with breast and that type of hormonal cancers. We don't have the answer to that yet, but in my advice, therefore, the more whitening the sunscreen at this point mm. in time... Um, of course, the better for you because it's so less likely to have less absorption. We are
0: always looking for a sunscreen that's not greasy, that doesn't feel like you're caked in something, but you really are saying that those ones that feel gross are the ones that we want and the ones that are going to prevent True, cakes. right now,
2: but you know, obviously, without plugging my own product, one of my research things <laughs> is... In Go ahead, plug that's away. A, and at the moment, in our research lab in LA, we're exactly developing a sunscreen which actually will be natural certified and which actually won't have any of these chemicals it will also have zinc but you would be able to use it without having these endocrine disruptors and but it's taken quite a bit of formulation and technical thing it's not that easy to formulate because as you can tell if you don't have these then it doesn't spread like a moisturizer Mm. and that's the field we're trying to get
1: Mm-hmm. Can you tell me then, I go to the supermarket and yes. typically I try and find the highest SPF for the cheapest price. Yes. What should I actually be looking for? UVA, UVB, what yeah. kind of numbers? Again,
2: this brings you back to what we were talking about, about a burn time. And it also brings you to another question is, what is a broad spectrum sunscreen? So typically if you have enough zinc, uh, you generally have, um, and, and some are UV absorbers, most of them will be, say, they're broad spectrum. That means they absorb both UVA and UVB. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just had the chemicals and you didn't have a filter, it's very difficult for them to be broad-spectrum. Okay. They may absorb UVB, but not UVA. Because right. UVA, if you think, is the type of sun rays which can transmit transparent clothing. But UVB doesn't go through your clothing. Right. So, so we're so your clothing is transparent. A broad spectrum. Yeah. That's right. So generally you want broad spectrum. Now, here is where the interesting with the calculation of UV or SPF is. Like I said to you, using myself as an example again, that if I said today's UV index and the weather report is 10 at peak hours, and my sun burn time is 300 divided by the UV index, then my burn time is 30. So if I needed to be in the sun for 300 minutes, yeah. all I needed is SPF 10. Okay. For my skin type, ah, you understand okay. what I mean? Yes. But but of course the the caveat here is most people don't reapply the sunscreen, and that's partly why the system falls through. Is because even if you calculated it well, once you put it on, because of sweat and getting the water, you ideally need to reapply it every couple of hours anyway. However much they say or they say
0: SPF three hundred and beyond for a week. Okay, that's <laughs>
2: so the problem is yeah. But if you were a very fair skin. And it would be that's why as dermatology we often say minimum of SPF 30. That's a that advice in Australia, and New Zealand. Okay. But that's largely because in very fair skin, like I said, you would probably if your burn time is going to be six minutes or seven minutes, you probably need okay. at least 30. But here's the interesting thing is, and sun protection factor is what is the difference. So the easy way to remember it is SPF 15. Let's in 1 in 15 harmful rays, which means it gives you 93% protection. Okay. SP of 30 one, 30, 1 in 30 is 1 and so that means 3%, that means it's 97% protection. I see. SP of 50 lets in 1 and 50, which is 2, which is only 98. So between SP of 30 and 30 15, 30 and 50, you're only getting 93, 97, and 98. So it's virtually using this calculation. It's virtually impossible to get hundred percent. Yet you see brands being advertised. Mm. So here's what's interesting: because I have, a, like I said, a lab in LA, and we work in the American market. Under FDA guidelines, it's illegal anymore for you to claim more than SPF fifty for this very reason, because they think it's misleading. But here in New Zealand, you would see SPF seventies and plus. It's, yes. it's illegal. Can we talk anymore.
1: about sprays? That yes. become quite common. Those yes. kind of yeah. kind yeah. of ones. I automatically assume they don't work because I can't. Tilt my head fast enough to get every surface area,
2: is yes. that fair Do you yeah. rub it in? Yeah, the, the, the true thing is if you sprayed it on thick enough and you were able to get it on your system, that's right. There's more of, the, you're more likely to miss areas. Mm-hmm. Again here the issue comes up with what does the spray contain? So to avoid you getting the whitening effect, most sprays prefer to use titanium because it is clear metal and some of these absorbers so you can't see it. So, therefore, it's perhaps not as safe for you as something which is zinc-based. But you can also have a zinc spray, but the fact is, once you spray it on, you will look a bit whiter. Mm-hmm. And that way, of course, you will know where you missed as well. Mm-hmm. So, I guess... So, so, it can work... Technically, you can formulate it. The reason I don't prefer to formulate sprays is it is more difficult for children to apply it. And it's very difficult for you to spray on your back accurately, whereas at least you can spread it, uh, right? I so so I think missed.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, i um, and just lastly, a procedural thing, I guess, yes. is um, do I put my moisturiser in my foundation and then my sunblock on? What order should it go in if those sunblocks and foundations have SPF yeah. in them too? Um,
2: ideally speaking, if you're using just a filler, this is why the question I was telling you earlier about using zinc is um, quite important. Because if you're using zinc and it's a filter, then you can put whatever you're doing first and then you can put it on ideally though it's better to have them combined in a product if you're using it for so that's why you see a lot of cosmetics will say your day cream will say with an spf but the catch-22 that is if it is less whitening then you are more likely to have more chemicals in it so so i would really therefore i tend to be more scientific and practical about these things so what i would say to individualize is. How much time are you really going to be the sun today? If you're going to be inside all day, forget it today, just wear your normal thing. If you then decide I'm going to go out for a while, then you put your sunscreen on because mm-hmm. it'll cover you for the time, and I mm-hmm. think that's
1: a And so point. if I have an SPF 15 moisturizer and an yes. SPF 15 foundation, does yes. that give me SPF 30 protection? No, because like I said, you know,
2: <laughs> each one is calculated based on its formulation. But the problem with that is you have to just make sure that the products are all compatible because ideally, like I said safety is to look at does it got a filter if you've got a filter like zinc and then you've got wearing underneath the less zinc it has the more chemicals it will have
1: thanks everyone for listening we have got one more episode coming up in a few weeks about skin care the most expensive part I guess of looking after our skin like does it matter if I put hand cream on my face and do facials even do anything? If you found
0: this episode interesting, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and even rate and review us if you feel that way inclined. You can reach us on Twitter, hashtag AskAUT, and tell us your questions. AUT is also on Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram. Tell your friends about this podcast.
2: You know how to whistle, not you, Steve?
0: The human head weighs in-
2: what does Marcellus Wallace... Do? Look, what's the deal with... October? What's the matter with me, what? baby? What's the matter with you? It's
1: English and what? How can you talk if you haven't got a brain?
2: What's your record
1: for consecutive questions asked? I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on first. What's the deal with everything, peanuts? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And At this point, I'm too afraid to ask.